Okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, it, is a new, uh, it is a new handout. As one of, you, one of you suggested to me this morning that this Bible study is like Groundhog Day, uh, Bill Murray's movie, yeah? Could you just keep doing the same thing over and over again? Which, you know, that could be, uh, that could be an okay thing to happen to, I suppose. I'll, uh, I went to sleep thinking about the Knights Templar last night after getting my full Opus Dei a briefing from the History Channel. And then the Knights, did you stay up and watch it, you know? It's Da Vinci Code week on the History Channel, so you gotta, there must be a special righteousness somewhere that the movie is bombing, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, now we translate, uh, <laughs> how everything is connected, I was thinking to myself, we'll translate the feast day, and then I'm thinking to myself, the way they translate bones, which is um, the official term for moving somebody's bones, that woman can't just walk right down the middle like that when I'm talking. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, that'll be part of the text today about subordination. <clears throat> mine, mine I'm talking about. Mine, not mine. Is, <clears throat> and it makes our marriage work so much better that way. Sure, if, if everyone were slightly deaf, uh, you know, the, the divorce rate in this country would completely diminish. So... Anyway, you translate bones, which is the official way that when you move bones around. Now, when the vicar was on his honeymoon in Rome, uh, you know, what did you do on your honeymoon? He, uh, he, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> when the vicar was on his honeymoon in Rome, uh, you know, what, what he wanted most to do was see uh, the bones of St. John Chrysostom returned from the Pope to the Patriarch. Isn't that so? It was Chrysostom and who else? Gregory of Nazianzus is one of the three great Gregories. We, we, uh, we, the, they, we, we stole the bones uh, 1,600 years ago. How long had they been there? Yeah. And then they wanted them back. Well, that seemed a bit. But never, keep peace in the family and all that. So everybody does what they want. Anyway, enough about translating bones. Um, That's what? That was a... Everybody has their own interest that makes the world go round and round. Okay, so it's Ascension Day coming up. If you want to smell the incense, uh, that would be Thursday night. And here's the prayer uh, for that particular day. As Easter, you know, 40 to, 40 to Ascension, 50 to Easter, like that. O Lord Jesus Christ, who did gloriously ascend into heaven after your resurrection, grant us the help of your grace that as you have promised to dwell with us always on earth, so in heart and mind, we may never cease to dwell with you in heaven, where, the Father and the Holy where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you reign and live, one God, world without end. Amen. Now you remember then, uh, you know, that what should happen is the candle should burn uh, the entire 50 days of, of uh, uh, of Easter. Should, actually, it should burn all the way to Ascension Day. Um, it should not be put out, but we have fire regulations and insurance. And if we burn the church down and they said, you left the candle overnight, you know, we probably wouldn't collect. So uh, we put it out. But you remember then that Ascension Day is uh, during the gospel, uh, if you're paying attention. There'll be a point where it said, he ascended into heaven, and the acolyte will sneak over to the candle, and at that point, put the candle out. 
That's the Paschal candle, the Jesus candle. Where's Jesus? Jesus is at the candle point, and you notice that there's, it's a particularly nice one this year with the Holy Supper there, uh, and his wounds commingled with the chalice, which is classic Lutheran doctrine. So uh, at the point of he ascended into heaven, that candle will be extinguished, and then the next time you arrive uh, here, uh, the candle will take its place at the font. You remember the prayer said, and I closed the book, so you have to go by memory. It said something like, uh, something about where we can find you. You've ascended, now uh, how shall we find you? That was the question posed by the prayer, and the answer is, we shall find you in the water of the font, in your word, and in your supper. And so then, the candle, the Paschal candle, traditionally goes to the font. If you're looking for Jesus, splash in the water. Uh, right now, he's on the gospel horn. Remember, that's the gospel side <coughs> to the north, where things are cold and could use a bit of gospel. So that's all good stuff. Sorry. Yes, well, liturgical north, that's right. If I said anything, but see, that, as soon as you said that, you said somebody's made a mistake, and we wouldn't want to say that. Uh, liturgical north, yes, liturgical north. Um, you know, I, did, I was going to say a little bit about the voters' meeting last week, but then Dennis Wente kindly you know, put so much together. Um, I think what happened from my own view toward of at the end was, sort of at the end was we fell into what's in philosophy called a spurious alternative, which is a choice between uh, two non, a uh, choice that needn't be made or ought not be made. So there was the man and then there was uh, the accreditation. And, uh, you know, with a week to sort of step back and, and think about things, uh, you always wish you'd, uh, you know, say things more crisply when you have the chance. But, uh, you know, there's a lot cooking right now. Um, why is accreditation important? It's important for a couple of reasons. Internally, it is important because uh, it, lets us, it lets our teachers do what they do best uh, under the care of a principal and with consultation of that principal. So an accreditation sets direction uh, in all sorts of ways for a school. So internally, it is important because uh, it, it unifies, codifies, brings all things together, and uh, prompts a school on to greatness. And uh, there's no point in having a school or a church if it's not the absolute best school or church you could have. Um, gosh, if I said one thing to you over the nine years I've been here, it's that everything goes full blast, and you never do anything halfway. Sometimes a great notion. Can you isolate the passage, Ken Kesey? Oh no, all of you just read the electric Kool-Aid acid test by mistake. So, uh, oh yes, glimmering embarrassed recognition from some of you. Yes, okay, so uh, <clears throat> never do anything halfway. That includes school and church. So you do it internally as how can we have the best possible school uh, that it couldn't be better than, see? But also then externally we say to ourselves, how do we attract um, students to the school and members to the church through the school? And one of the ways when people are coming in trying to decide you know, should we send our kids here? Should we join this church? They look for markers. They look for the kindness of people like you. They look for uh, the welcoming nature of principal and staff and teachers. But they also look for external markers like accreditation. So we do it and it's important and we will continue to do it. So, you know, that's all great. Um, now there are the pragmatists among us who say, 
uh, well now, uh, an accreditation that uh, sort of is just done and forgotten about isn't very helpful. Um, could, you, could you make sure that the next, uh, as you go forward, all that good stuff gets done? Uh, and that was the excitement in the group, you know, uh, of the guy that was called. Uh, he was seen as one who could execute uh, toward excellence. Then there was a question about, well, he doesn't uh, have the degree yet, which is fair, but two, two things answer that. One is Liz Skinner didn't have her degree when she came, uh, came in 95, got it in 2000, right at the point of the first accreditation under her watch. Uh, also, second, uh, so we, we haven't loosened our standards. In fact, we've tightened them a bit <coughs> because in this call document, we have put in the demand for a master's within five years. So it's actually written into the call document. Um, second thing is, if I can remember it, lots of windows open, um, is, uh, oh yes, I actually looked at the specific question of the accrediting agency. It's a yes or no question, and it's in two parts. It says, does your principal have this, MA plus 75 in our case, or is your principal on the way to getting it? And so long as you can answer yes to one part or the other, all is well with the accrediting agency. Make sense? Everybody got it? So I just, you know, one of the good things about having a voters meeting is everybody gets to talk. One of the bad things about having a voters meeting is everybody gets to talk, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 you want everybody to talk and not everybody's in the same, at the same place. Of course they're not in the same place because, you know, teachers are professionals. They think one way. Uh, and they're very close to it. Pastors are thinking some other place. The call committee has information that you all don't have. You want to know what the information is. You know, so you come to a space where everybody's shooting at it from a different, um, a different perspective. But I think the thing to agree upon is you want the school to be brilliant and full. Not particularly difficult, is it? You want the school to be brilliant and full. So the question is, how do we do that? And I think everybody's back on the same page. And I'm grateful. Uh, to Dennis for, you know, just sort of getting into writing. So that's just a helpful thing. So that was very well done. Uh, boy, I don't know if I want to look at that hand. I just don't. It's you, Karen. You're a friend. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what would you like to know? <laughs> Whoa. As if holding your grandchildren. Voters meeting at St. John or holding your grandchildren. Yes. Okay, go. Uh, you know, you're going to get me out of my depth real fast, but I will say that there is a Lutheran school accreditation, and there's also, and the one we play with is the North Central accreditation, which is not uh, religious in any way. Help me, Judy Mahoney, right? Yeah. And we've engaged, uh, it's a state accreditation. I mean, you've got to really, you got to get it, you have to have a, have, a, have a program to know the players in this thing. That's why teachers are valuable. They know this stuff. Um, and help me now again, Judy, if you can, or anybody else who's here. We have both of those last time around. Is that right? Uh, I don't think it's one, but not because it's, 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 do you always get the certified? Yes, but. Or have you already gotten that one too? Okay, so we're taking a new. It's a little bit better when it's more, you know, it's more of a certified one. Thank you. And it wasn't close. Yeah, so a little stronger external marker. So that okay? Good. I, I do, uh, you know, I have teachers around who know this stuff so that, um, that I can look at them and say, tell us all about that. All right, everybody okay? 
So uh, pray hard. I know, I know there's, I was saying to somebody as we began, you know, um, a lot of this stuff we've been working on for, for almost a year, uh, you know, the Bible church thing, we've been working on for seven years. I mean, my first meeting, I can remember the first guy called my office about the Bible church or something like it seven years ago. Uh, you know, it's been a long, long time coming. So it's kind of interesting. One thing is, is it seems like there are a lot of, there's a lot of ambiguity and there are a lot of sort of things that are floating loose. It can seem that way, but it's not exactly right. There are people pulling hard in many directions. So it was interesting because I get two things. People say, come on, can we hurry up and do something? Come on, what's being done? Can we hurry up and do something? Let's get something done. And then we have a meeting and we do a lot of things like, whoa, what are we doing so fast for? How come we're moving so fast? What's going on? How come we're doing everything right? You know, so I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it. It's part of the, part of the difficulty of communicating with 2,000 people. I get it. Um, but that's why you have 30 or 40 or 50 people who are working on all these different things. So you got to really pay attention, though, this next month. It's a really interesting next month. Um, a lot of things have happened. I mean, there's a big deal last week. There are going to be some big deals coming up in the next couple of weeks. Really, please, be in church, pay attention, be at the voters' meetings, okay? And if you want to look on the bright side, it spares you the groundhoggedness of doing this every Sunday. So, you know, it's always something good. Cause there's, always, there's always a good thing going, right? All right, everybody okay? So see if you can find uh, 1 Peter 2, and we'll see what happens. <clears throat> you know, we're not going to, uh, next, next week we will. I know it's a holiday weekend. We are going to go, uh, we're going to have Bible study next week, but then we're going to miss for four weeks in a row. But uh, we're going to carry on through the summer. So, you know, wherever we get, where, wherever we get, that's where we get. Okay, I tell you what, let's just read 18 to 25, if you got it in front of you. Um, I want to observe that um, first in verse 13, you have this be subject verb. And you have it again in 18, be submissive. It gets translated. Uh, similar notion. And then in 3.1, you have be submissive again which, uh, you know, this is, this is probably enough to raise everybody's blood pressure a few points, unless, of course, you stick with what the Lord is up to. So we're at 20, we're at 18. Uh, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the kind and gentle, but also to the overbearing. For one is approved, if mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you do wrong and are beaten for it, you take it patiently. But if when you do right and suffer for it, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. Why? Because, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But, and I'll just give you the punchline right now, I think what the next eight words are, or nine words are, this is one of the most comforting verses in all of scripture. But he trusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore out our sins in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, little Isaiah quotation there. For you were like straying sheep, more Isaiah, but now have been returned to the shepherd, pastor, episcopus, uh, and guardian, overseer, caretaker of your souls. There you go. So, uh, on the sheet, okay, point number one. And by the way, um, one of the things I grieve most about, I need somebody who really knows, knows Word really well. This is a simple thing, but in Word Perfect, you know, I spent all, all these years writing a dissertation in Word Perfect, and I came, and about my first day, we switched to Word, which is fine, except in Word Perfect, you used to, on the bottom, be able to click a button, and you could see all the hidden things that were in, like tabs and da-da-da-da-da. I've never been able to find that in Word. Yeah, see now, so that's why all of you are way smarter than me, and someday when somebody has patience, come to my office and show me how to, show me how to find all that stuff, which is the reason why uh, this goes one, two, four, you know, because uh, I'm too stupid to figure out how to get three. I just, it just happens some days, okay? I just, after about 10 minutes, I just decided four is a good number bigger than two, okay? So that's the way life goes sometimes. Uh, that's good. Anybody can obey a good master, you know. But can you, um, can you, can you, uh, <laughs> can you endure a harsh master? I think the word is, uh, I, got, I didn't bring my Greek text, it's, it's scolios, like scoliosis, like he's, you know, bent the wrong way with all the consequences that come with that. So the question is, can you obey, submit, come under, Somebody like that. And I just, you know, Amer who, who, who would be more, who could be more, who could this notion be more antithetical to than Americans in the 21st century, right? So the word is hupotasso. It comes from the word tasso, which is to appoint or order or arrange or put in place. Now what I want you to see already is there is a presumption that the cosmos is ordered. Let there be light and there was light. Or the, the, the word, but back farther even in Genesis 1, the, the, the is tohu wabohu is how the Hebrew talks about uh, the, the world formless and void. And the first thing that the Lord does is impose order on chaos. Right? Which is what you should hear. The spirit hovers over the waters. You should hear that. The vicar was brilliant yesterday in the little lecture he gave about how the spirit hovered over the waters at creation and again at your recreation in baptism. Okay? So there's the spirit who creates order. The Lord presumes that there is an order in the cosmos. Now immediately you should presume that you are, if you are, what's, what's a good reason to be a Christian? I'll give you a good reason to be a Christian because if you're not, you're out of step with the entire cosmos. You are at war with the God who ordered the cosmos. It's ordered in a particular way. Okay, he arranges it. He puts things into place. And I just want to sort of press you all the way to the gospel for you to see that when these verbs are in what's called the middle voice, we, we, we're more given in, in English to active and passive voices, but there is in Greek a middle voice, which is, um, 
It can be, it can be translated in different ways, but it's regularly uh, uh, reflexive. It, it regularly says something about you. And it, and it often changes slightly the meaning of the word. So this tasso word can mean for you not just, not just that there's an order, but that you gaze upon the order and then actually have an appreciation for it. You actually, it can mean to set your heart on it, to love what God loves. So can you not only recognize the order, that's the law, can you love what God loves? Which is the basic question of being a Christian. Okay, that's tasso. Hupotasso is even a bit more. In verse 13, the passive form means, can you be subject to, okay? And then in 2.18 and 3.1, it means subject yourself, and this is brilliant, because the middle, the middle voice gospels the word, because you notice the last thing, I think, which I wrote down there, which is that it is voluntary. And now you should say to yourself, this is the gospel life. This is the baptized life. Remember where we are? First Peter is written for Easter vigil. It's written for new baptized people. They're sitting in the front, hearing it for the first time. Old folks are sitting in the back, hearing it again and again. They're saying, this is what we're in for. The folks in the back are saying, that's what we're in for. They've just taken these people to baptism, and they're catechizing them. They're teaching them that the world is now a different place because they have been baptized. You came to the water voluntarily after three years with a sponsor to get all the things you got and your world has changed, you came voluntarily. There's not one of you here today who's forced to be here. And pastors and staff, teachers, all of us, one of the things we would do well to remember in this place is that there's no reason for you to come back. Not a reason that depends on us. There's no reason for any kid to come back to the school. That's not, no reason for any of you to come back to church. There's no reason for you to be here today. That We have no force with you. We have no leverage. We have nothing except the gospel, which is what you need and what I need. Yesterday in this little lecture thing we were doing, one of the kids said, um, uh, why should anybody become Christian? And the answer is, the penalty for not believing is to stay the way you are. Now you think of your own life, and you think of the lives of those around you, and you consider the pain and angst with which most people live, and the way that evil feeds upon evil, and then you ask yourself if uh, some sort of change isn't due. And that's precisely what Peter is talking about here. Okay, so there is an order, and I know, you know, I know we have difficulty with this. We have, we have trouble understanding Jesus' words, exousia, all authority in heaven and earth has been given on me. We have trouble with that word. We can only hear that as a law word. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You are begging for order when you pray that. You are begging that the kingdom of God impose its order upon this earth and that people actually live by it. That's what you're begging. We have trouble with the notion of authority, with the trouble of obedience, with the notion of submission, until we actually understand that these are gospel words um, 
and it is the way that the Lord has organized the universe. Now, the problem with having interns around is they're all smarter than you are. So, you know, I just had gotten past my <coughs> angst over going from two to four, and then printing things out, and Burkholz comes into my office and says, oh yeah, Hupatasso, Kleining has written 12 pages on that. You should read this now before you go out tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you think to yourself, you know, remember Kleinig, right? Kleinig is another sort of, Kleinig is another sort of human being. He's in the, he's, there's the Nagel Kleinig, and then, you remember Yaroslav Pelikan died this last Sunday, right? Or, or is some, well, yeah. Yeah, only the interns call him Jerry. I've never gotten that far. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of at a different level, those guys. So, you know, Kleinig's sort of written on this. I did quickly read through one of the most interesting things he said in his, and, and I'll make copies for you next week if you care. One of the most interesting things he said about this is he said, um, this is the forgotten discipline that breaks the church. Because in this, contained in this word, in this notion, is community. And if you think about it, that's precisely what I've been trying to say to you. That the Lord has imposed an order on the cosmos, that faith receives that order as a gift and blessing. That we who are broken are drawn into that order by way of our baptism. And when we are baptized, it is not about our personal relationship with Jesus, me and Jesus getting it done. We are baptized into the community, right? which is why you all should think twice, as should all your other friends here, before you feed any evil or virus into the system, because it multiplies. To sin individually is to ruin the community. To live an ungodly life is to taint the community. On the other hand, to be here each Sunday, to study, to receive the supper. By receiving the supper, you strengthen the community. By remembering your baptism, by saying your prayers, by having family devotions. You, know, you strengthen the community. That's what it's all about. I wouldn't want you to read this, and this is a whole other discussion, um, as a uh, justification of slavery. Uh, that's not a helpful way to read this text. Um, there are a couple of factors that weigh into that. One is, uh, I've probably come to the I probably come around to the realization that they thought that the, the Lord was coming back a lot quicker than he came and frankly if he comes before the 11:15 service I'm completely cool with that. <laughs> uh, you know, so there was this sense that the Lord was going to be back any second, so you know, if you're a servant just stay put because you know, the Lord will be back by lunch. Okay. Um, the other thing is that slavery had a completely different character in the Roman world and in many parts of the world than what we normally think about is the slave trade that uh, was part of America's history. And that um, there certainly were slaves who were brutalized and, and you know, sold uh, a, a, and suffered greatly. But also in these sorts of words, uh, there is the sense of uh, those who managed estates and those who were sort of sub-managers and, uh, so, and how that works. This word is sort of the sub-manager word. So there's somebody above you, but um, it doesn't, what w one should be careful of conjuring images which are uh, perhaps in our history but not in the biblical history. But I will not uh, and would not uh, suggest to you that this is in some sense a defense of slavery. If you can push that aside for a moment and understand it as a defensive order, you can still draw quite a bit from the text. And the key to that, 
now I'm closing the loop all the way back, is the middle voice, that this is a voluntary arrangement. Next week, <coughs> when I will have Arthur Just teach this class instead of me, because it's on wives and what percentage could there be in me teaching it. <laughs> Man, you're tough this morning, okay. Uh, just a little joke there, you know. You know, that's why you get guys in from out of town. I've asked him if he wants to teach, I don't know if he's gonna or not. Nobody forced you to get married. Nobody forced you to be part of this church. Nobody forced you to do a lot of things that are talked about as submission. These are, and submission is just such a horrible word. We don't have any good English word. Uh, you know, better English word is uh, to gaze upon this particular order voluntarily and enjoy in beauty. That would be a better translation than submission. I don't know what the one word is for that, but that's what the notion is, okay? And before you, um, I, well, I guess what I'd like you to do is just see if you could absorb that a little bit, because um, before you, you know, bristle too much at that and suggest that it's not part of the Christian life, the example for this is Jesus. I'd never read, this is another good reason to have interns around, I'd never read the margin comment from Luther, and by the way, just a heads up to the interns, don't want any fake Luther stuff in here, so I want to see the, uh, I want to see the proper footnote for this, okay? Just letting you know, Martin Luther doesn't cut it, okay? I want to know where that's found. Nevertheless, this is so characteristically Luther, it's brilliant. I never thought about this before, this morning. You know, you come to church and you, you, like, you think, here's something I never thought of. When the serpent, the devil, wanted to affect Adam's downfall, he sent him in particular against the sun, saying, you will be like God. Had you ever thought of that before? I'd never thought of that before. I always considered Adam's sin as a sin against the Father, his creator. It had never occurred to me, until I read this, that Adam's sin is a sin against the Son. It's a sin against Jesus. He wants to usurp Jesus' position, which is a fascinating way to look at this. Both the devil and Adam wish to dispossess the Son of his honor, for only the Son is like God, and only he is the image of the invisible God, as we read in Colossians 1, and the image of the divine essence, and on and on. The devil himself had experienced this fault, da, 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 it goes on and on. I mean, I just want to suggest to you, before you become, uh, before you dismiss, are dismissive of this text, that you might consider um, that Jesus, when he said, love your enemies, was saying precisely the same thing that Peter says when he says, um, pay attention if you, even if you've got a bent, uh, even if you've got a bent boss. No, brilliant, and, I, and, and you diagnosed my theological error, perhaps, in saying that. Um, yeah, sin against the Son is going to be a sin against the Father, and you could flip it around and you could say the way I always thought of it as being a sin against the Father would also be a sin against the Son. But I'd never sort of fleshed out the notion that it was a direct affront on the second member of the Trinity. I just had never kind of, it's one of those things where you go, boy, that makes a lot of sense, and why didn't I think of it? So you're exactly right. You sin against one, you sin against all of them, but they each have their own proper work. And the reason why, thank you for the question, because that's helpful. The reason why is the son's proper work is submission to the father. Adam's proper work was submission to the father and, when he, and to the son, of course. And when he, he sort of takes a step up when he pushes the sun out of the way. Very well said. Thank you very much. So uh, Jesus says, uh, sort of, now I've sort of pushed you all the way to then um, point number two.
right? So be subject to the Lord. I'm sorry. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the kind and gentle, but even if you've got a bad boss, stay put. For one is approved if, mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. Right? To stay put and obey a bad master who abuses you can be very painful. Jesus is exhibit A of that. But Peter suggests, and this is the strangest thing, that you and I should welcome that kind of suffering. In fact, when we translate, does somebody have an NIV? I think it, it's translated as commendable in the NIV. Is that right? Somebody got that? <coughs> Say that? No? What for one is approved of is RSV, the old RSV. It's commendable if. You know what the real word is there? There it is. It's charis. It's a grace. For it's a grace is the literal translation of this. If, because you remember, I believe in God, because you remember, I'm a Christian, because you remember, I've been baptized, because you remember, I belong to this community, it's a grace. And I thought about that as I was preparing this week. And uh, the, the, I, I think I, by the end of the week, I think the, most, the best way to understand this is the most literal way. That is, without grace, you could not do it. I think the text means it in the most literal sense. It is a grace. See, if you translate it commendable, or if you translate it, it's approved, then it's me saying, like, aren't you a good boy because you got a bad boss and you hung in there and you supported your family, good for you, right? That's very different from saying the Lord has given you grace to carry on and you've carried on within it. Isn't the Lord good? It's a grace. And I think, the, I think the, trans, the, the literal translation is the best translation. It's a grace for you if, mindful of God, mindful of his son, mindful of your baptism, mindful of the church, mindful of the community, <coughs> that you endure pain unjustly. Now, I, uh, you know, you've heard me say a hundred times before, uh, and of course with all the Opus Day stuff going on about people, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, beating themselves and poking themselves and all that that's going on. Um, one must be very careful here, but I think you've heard me say on a regular basis that um, life is tough enough, to be real honest with you. I mean, you all get enough trouble in your life if you just pay attention to it. I mean, I know sometimes we just don't even pay attention to it, but we have enough trouble in our own lives, you don't have to seek trouble. You don't have to seek suffering. It, it'll find you, and frankly, if it hasn't found you right now, just wait, because as it said, after Cain murdered Abel, evil was crouching at the door. So you know what? If you're in a good period of your life, okay, good for you, rejoice in it. Um, but evil is crouching at the door, okay? And when it comes, how will you endure it? Well, I do just remind you, as I did two years ago when we talked about Philippians, the same word was used there in a much kinder context, that charis, grace, is from the word for what delights or charms or is given to beauty. And I think one of the things that we learn is, um, especially from the saints, this is one of the reasons why the saints are valuable, is that people who we do actually have an emotional response, at least I think we do, or we should, we do have an emotional response 
to those people in the Christian faith who were able to respond to hatred with love and regularly how we speak of that is in the way of beauty. I think that's a fair way to speak about what happens in the Christian life. We say that was wonderful. That was, that was, uh, that, that was unbelievable. That was a beautiful response. That is part of grace. Part of grace is the emotional response to a life well lived, to a bidding of Jesus Christ that is followed. Now, what I suspect will happen to you is that you will find, as Christians regularly do, this to be extraordinarily difficult. Um, and I know it's getting close, so I'm going to just I'm going to say three things, okay? And then I'm going to let you go with this. I'm going to say three things. One is um, the best thing I've learned this year, and I probably read this six months ago, and uh, it's the best thing I've learned in six months, which is this little bit at the top of the second page from Norman Nagel, um, where he talks about Jesus being tempted to flee the cross. This was a Lenten sermon given at Valparaiso University some years ago. These are the sorts of things you wish you'd have learned. I think this was given, if I'm remembering properly, in 69. These are the sort of things that I wish I'd have learned 20 years ago. So what would keep you from returning good for evil? What would keep you from recognizing how the cosmos has been ordered? What would keep you from living in community? What would keep you from feeding a virus into that community by way of evil or gossip? What would keep you? One, one, one thing is, is we, we fear. If we don't do it, it'll go badly for me. That's, why people, that's one reason people pollute the system. That's one reason they feed on evil. They fear that somehow they will suffer or their stature will be lower. To help you understand this fear, I give you this piece, but uh, I just give you the piece. Well, let me just I'll read half of it about you. Jesus is not deflected at his temptation. That is, he can't be pushed away from the cross. When subsequently tempted to put on a show of power, which is regularly the way of evil, which is regularly the way of getting my way and protecting myself, right? A show of power that would reveal a God who would fit our notions, because that's the Jesus we want, one who will whoop up on my friends and on my enemies too. Jesus resolutely refuses. Now get this. He never uses his power for himself. And then the next line is more brilliant. Jesus is the man for others. And then the most brilliant thing I've learned in six months as such, he has no basis for fear. And I just stop you right there and ask you, what are you afraid of and why? And this is the answer. I have tested this for six months. I can find no other answer. For all fear is self-regarding. You, know, you wonder why you're afraid of things? You're afraid of things because you're afraid that you'll be hurt, period. All fear is self-regarding which is another way of saying what we've always said here, it's not about you, or it's not about your own pious heart, or don't look inside yourself because you won't find the answer. 
The answer is, or don't start your sentences with I. The answer is in altar pulpit and font. The answer is in that body hanging on the cross right back there. The answer is not to be regarding of yourself and only to be regarding of Christ. That's as clear as you can make the Christian message. Now you will say to me, what will become of me? And the answer then is uh, something, that was the best thing I learned last year, which is this text. I was in the midst of private confession sort of going on about this and that, um, which I now recognize to be a fear-driven. Um, the confessor says, trust yourself to the one who judges justly. The brilliant, that sort of pastoral care cannot be bought. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. That's the text here. Jesus, when he was threatened with evil, he, he suffered. He did not threaten. He trusted himself to the one who judges justly. What will become of me if I don't lash out in evil? What will become of me if I don't gossip? What will be become of me if I don't free myself of my bad boss? What will become of me if I don't protect myself? What will become of me if I don't strike before I'm struck? Those are all questions about fear. And they are all self-regarding. To recognize it is to say, that's my sin. To cure it is to say, trust yourself to the one who judges justly which is another way of saying the Lord will sort it out. He sorted it out for Jesus, his son, and if he sorted it out for Jesus, death, resurrection, ascension, he will sort it out for you. Last thing, then you will say, well, so much for this, but then what about my life? And how will things work out? This is a pregnant question for St. John. And why carry on? Well, last page, David Scare, another of the saints. Christianity is not difficult because of what we believe about God. We can explain it fairly easily. It's not difficult because churches require higher moral standards of their members. There's lots of places that require higher morals than we've got. Christianity is difficult because it requires that we go beyond our own high sense of morality. See how this all fits together? That we forget about ourselves. Jesus said that we are to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and pray for those who abuse us. Instead of lending money to people who really dislike us and expecting it back, we are actually to cancel their loans. Jesus sums it up with these simple words. Get this? Just put this on your list of three really good things you learned today. All fear is self-regarding. Trust yourself to the, to the one who judges justly and expect nothing in return. That's the Christian life. The world says it is good business to be generous in your dealings with other people because someday they will be generous to you. Jesus says, expect nothing in return. At, not, not, at least not on this side of the grave. That is brilliant. 
That's why you need old men in the church and old women too. Although my advice is that it's gone easier for me when I've said, how are you old man? Than when I've said, how are, are you old woman? <laughs> it just doesn't seem to work as well for some reason. But take your own chances. It's a community and loving, and I'm sure that they'll return good for your evil. <laughs> All fear is self-appealing. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Expect nothing in return. Now we got to go, but you go home then and read those verses again about Jesus who hangs on the cross, and it'll all make sense to you. Okay? Thanks. See you next week. We will go next week. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.